Thank you so much, Lane. Bridge Kids, you are dismissed. I'm very excited as we um, begin a new series. And by the way, I think I'll just call it Grow Forward. Catchy? I'm excited for the possibilities for us as a church family to grow forward. That is to grow our love for Christ, to grow our hearts for generosity, to grow our devotion to Christ, full devotion to Christ. So today is uh, part one, a matter of the heart. There are several hot-button topics uh, that can make any conversation go nuclear, subjects like religion, politics, death, and even more recently, sexuality. But in a recent survey done by Wells Fargo, they found that the number one hot button is still money. 44% of Americans point to personal finances as the most challenging subject to talk about. It's harder to talk about than death. In another research study, one-third of Americans would be embarrassed. I'm guessing this is a low number. One-third of Americans would be embarrassed to let others know that they are not paying off their credit cards in full every month. Forty percent of Americans believe that they will be judged by family and friends because of their credit card debt. The average American credit card debt is $15,355. On the other hand, Jesus was not embarrassed or afraid to talk about money. And some of you will know that he told 38 parables in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and 16 of those parables are about our money and our stuff. One in every 10 verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is about money and stuff. That's a total of 288 verses about money and stuff. In the Bible, uh, you may know that there are about 500 verses on prayer, about 500 verses on faith, and there are over 2,000 verses that deal with money and stuff. Today I have two questions for us that I believe are crucial for us if we are indeed to grow forward. First question, number one, what is the connection between my money and my stuff? You have an outline in your program, and you may want to take some notes. What's the connection between my money and and stuff? Sometimes, and I've experienced this on many occasions, sometimes people just shut down when you talk about this subject. I think that's connected to that really hard reason that people don't like to talk about money. So I want to make some observations from the New Testament. Um, First of all, generosity was one of the most, uh, was one of the very first displays of a changed life in the New Testament. It it was one of the first displays of a changed life. And we go back to Luke chapter 3, and this is in the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, You may know that uh, John the Baptist had a role to prepare the way for Jesus, to get, get hearts ready so that when Jesus came, they might receive him, and to receive him as God's special messenger, the Messiah. 
And what, what John the Baptist called the people, he went out into the wilderness and, he, and people were just attracted to go out and hear this man because they, they, they heard he was speaking for God, that he was a prophet. And so people went out in the wilderness and John called them to repent. And all kinds of people went out to repent, to change, to change your life direction, to change your behavior, to change your attitude. And uh, they asked John, what should we do? Now we come to Luke 3, verses 11 through 14. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And John said, don't collect any more than you are required to. Next slide. Then he said to the soldiers, and, and the soldiers said, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And so John's instructions, how do you show a changed life, a, a life focused back on God and he talks about generosity. He calls people to care about people around them, people in need. He calls them to be honest, and he calls them to be content, because that shows fruit of repentance. Another passage is uh, Luke chapter 19, and Luke 19, you know that Jesus had an encounter with a shorter man named uh, Zacchaeus. He had climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And he encountered Jesus, and Jesus got invited to his house for a party, a dinner party that night. And um, during that time, Zacchaeus placed his faith in Christ. And here's what Zacchaeus said spontaneously, without instruction. He said, he stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham, meaning Zacchaeus has become a man of faith, like Abraham was a man of faith. Salvation has come, and how was it displayed? Jesus recognized it in his generosity. Next observation is, is that generosity was the hallmark of the early church. It was the hallmark of the early church. Now, we've seen this before. I want to look at it again, and we'll go to Acts chapter 2. The context in Acts 2 is Peter got up to preach his very first sermon in Jerusalem after um, the crucifixion. It's after the resurrection and after the ascension, and Peter got up and preached, and people were just stunned by his message about Jesus dying on the cross. 3,000 people came to faith, and this is how they began to respond. Acts chapter 2, verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That was their heart response. And there's no record anywhere that they were instructed to do this, not commanded to do it. It was just how they responded back to what had been given to them. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. This is another occasion later on. All the believers were one in heart and mind. There was this really strong sense of unity. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But... 
They shared everything they had with great power. And there's some kind of spiritual dynamic happening in this movement in the church. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Next slide. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. No one instructed them to do this. Um, and generosity just came, for, came from their hearts. And this is extreme generosity, extravagant generosity. Another one, another observation, generosity brought praise from Jesus. Here's a well-known story. You've probably heard it many times. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Jesus sat down the op opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. So Jesus just wanted to watch people. We don't like people to watch us when we give or don't give, Jesus sat down to watch. And uh, many rich people threw in large amounts. That was impressive. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Next slide. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasure than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. And in the midst of the rich people, Jesus watches this woman and he points her out and he draws the disciples to come watch this and here's what I want you to know. You know, there, you know when you... There was this kind of thing, the way the treasury was set up, where people brought, and they were kind of on display, and they were sort of designed as you put your gold coins in. They made a lot of noise. Two small coppers didn't make a lot of noise, and probably nobody would pay attention to her because she was probably uh, basically poorly dressed. But Jesus wanted to make a teaching point. And she gets credit for putting in the largest gift. Uh, it was worth a few cents. And he said, it's the largest gift because they gave out of the wealth and she gave out of poverty, put in everything. And you know what surprises me? Jesus didn't say, don't do it. You've got to have something for supper. Jesus didn't say that. Because he knew her heart. He knew she was a woman of faith. She trusted God. And she knew what it was to love the Lord her God with all her soul and all of her might. And all of her money. You and I aren't instructed to do that. You could. Jesus was impressed, and he wants all of us to be impressed that she gave it all. She gave her all, everything she had back 
to God. Next observation is, is that Jesus warned us against greed. He warned against greed. What is greed? Well, the way I like to define greed is that greed is wanting more and more of what we have enough of already. This is what makes our economy go. This is why advertising wants our attention. And sometimes this is why we want more things. Maybe it's usually why we want more things. And Jesus warns us, how much is enough? This is a great American question. And, and we often, we, it's how we compare with others. If everybody was poor, we would probably be okay being poor. But if everybody's middle class or middle this income level, we want to be there or slightly above or in the top range. How, what does it take for us to be content? There's absolute proof the more people have, the more they seem to want. Um, so Jesus warns, uh, Luke chapter 12, he said to them, Chapter 12, verse 15. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus said we should be on guard for wanting more and more of what we have enough of already. Jesus said life is not about having nicer things or more things. The next observation is, is that Jesus viewed selfish people as fools. Jesus viewed selfish people as fools. Now, after warning his followers about greed, in the very same passage, on the very same occasion, Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 20, that follows that warning, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He was blessed. He thought to himself, self, what shall I do? I have no place for, to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and, and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. Next slide. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be happy. But God said to him, you fool. That's what God thought. Jesus is giving us a huge clue about life. We can be foolish when we begin to focus on stuff. And acquiring more and more. He says it's dangerous. You could be foolish. That very night, Jesus goes on and says, Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? His point is you can't take it with you. It's not going to have much value in, in eternity. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That's a quote from Randy Alcorn. Jesus viewed selfish people as fools. 
So what about us? Um, well, let me go on, verse 19. No, I'm, I'm at the right place. I just got, a, just got lost for a minute. What about us? What about, what about us in America? Um, when we think about stuff, according to the New York Times, the United States has, you want to build a bigger barn? The United States has 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space. That's enough space for every um, American to stand at one place at one time. You know, way over 300 million Americans could stand in our self-storage space. 50% of storage renters store stuff that wouldn't fit into their homes, even though the size of the average American home has actually it's tripled in the last 50 years. Uh, 15% of customers told self, the Self-Storage Association that they were storing items they no longer need or want. The United States has 51,000 storage facilities. Another observation is, is that Jesus desired to see his followers rich toward God. That's in Luke 12, 21. And that's, that continues that very same parable that we were looking at where Jesus warns us of greed and the man tries to store up everything and God calls him a fool. And this is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Storing up things for ourselves makes us more foolish in eternity if we're not rich toward God, if we're not generous toward God, um, if we don't acknowledge, like the man in the parable, that God is the one who provides. God is the one who increases the harvest. God is the one who gives what I have. Um, and if I'm not rich, rich toward God, extravagant toward God. And Jesus said, he's a fool. Second question. It's the only other question. What is the relationship between my money and my heart? What is the relationship between my money and my heart? Now, this is very closely tied to the first question, but Jesus gives it special focus, and so we will. Um, so what's the relationship between my money and my heart? First observation, our hearts follow our money, at least according to Jesus. Our hearts follow our money. Matthew 6, 21. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your money. If you invest in something your heart will follow it. If you invest in Microsoft, you will be interested in Microsoft. If you invest a lot of money in Microsoft, you're going to be very, very interested in the outcome of Microsoft because our hearts follow our money. If you don't agree with me, take it up with Jesus. Um, 
Our hearts follow our money, and our money follows our hearts. Think about that. Our hearts follow our money. Our money follows our hearts. Would you agree or disagree? Um, We American shoppers work hard at getting good deals, don't we? A lot of us work really, really hard. In fact, we just enjoy the pursuit of getting a good deal. Uh, We hate to spend more than we think something is worth. We spend energy and time getting the best deals. We put our heart into it. Our heart follows our money. If you give back to God, your heart follows your money. If you give a little bit back, you follow God a little bit with your heart. The more generous you are, greater heart you have toward God. Second observation is our money has the potential for eternal value and impact. Our money has the potential for eternal value and impact. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 uh, and 20, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal. And he's talking about the temporariness of our stuff and our barns filled with crops. They're temporary. They don't last. You can't take them with you. So um, how much stuff do we have here in America? According to the LA Times... Every household has, on average, 300,000 items in your possession. Now, you know, maybe you only have 252,000. Somebody here's probably got 375,000. Go home and count them. The average size of the American home is nearly tripled in the last 50 years. Um, 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room to park their cars inside. 32% only have room for one vehicle. Um, Here's a good one. 3.1% of the world's children live in America, yet we buy 40% of all the toys in the world. Okay, sorry about this one. Women spend more than eight years of their lives shopping. (laughs) On the average, American women own 30 outfits, one for every day of the month. In 1930, they only had nine outfits. The average American family spends $1,700 on clothes annually. Um, some of you wish you had $1,700 to spend on clothes. Uh, while the average American throws away 65 pounds of clothing every year. The average American. So how many people live in your house? Uh, we have more television sets in our homes in America than we have people. Um, 
this one, this one's for me. Over the course of uh, our lifetime, we've spent a total of 3,680 hours or uh, 153 days searching for misplaced items. <laughs> we lose nine things every day. We lose 198,743 in a lifetime. Phones, keys, sunglasses, papers, they're on the top of the list. Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods, according to the Wall Street Journal. Um, here's another one that's uh, current, a modern concept. The $8 billion home organization industry has more than doubled since the early 2000s. In other words, we have to hire people to help us declutter or to help us organize all of our stuff. And the conclusion of this article is the numbers paint a jarring picture of excessive consumption and unnecessary uh, accumulation. Um, so Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal because there is something eternally significant about laying up treasure in heaven. And he's talking about money, being rich toward God with your money and your stuff. Um, it's about making an investment in heaven. So how do you do that? Well, the practical ways include some of the obvious things like supporting the ch your local church financially. It's like supporting organizations that advance the kingdom of God, missions organizations, missionaries personally, um, ministries like campus ministries, crew and navigator and IV that advance the kingdom on campuses. It's about supporting charities that care for the poor and, and meet the needs of people. That's, that, that's part of laying up your treasure in heaven. That's a part of being rich toward God, of being, being generous. We should think about being as, as good as a giver as we are as being a consumer. Maybe better. Luke chapter 12, another passage. Jesus said these words. He said, do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. When you place your faith in Christ, when you and I have placed our faith in Christ, we enter into an amazing relationship with promises from God. We're saved from the penalty of our sin. Our, our sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives. We become citizens of heaven, child of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, just to name a few in the beginning. But there are eternal promises that go with this. The significance of what does it mean that heaven is our home? And Revelation 21 and 22 talk about a kingdom of God that's coming. It's not here yet. It's coming. It's an eternal kingdom. And it's a kingdom of God here on earth. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you're going to be there. 
Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And then look what Jesus said. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. There's something about using your resources for the kingdom of God that lays up treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And notice that last verse, it comes up again. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, because your heart follows your money, and how you spend your money says a lot about your spiritual life. I remember I had a seminary prof, Charles Ryrie, said, men... If I could look at your checkbook register, I could tell about your spiritual life. I would find out what's really important to you. Luke chapter 18 is another one. This is an encounter of Jesus with the rich young ruler. This passage doesn't say he was young. He was rich. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You've got to get your theology straight. But who is Jesus? The guy doesn't know for sure. You know the commandments, Jesus said. You shall not commit adultery. Sixth one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. Fifth one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. Seventh one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not give false testimony. Eighth one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Number four. This was the version I learned. There's there's two versions, by the way, if you learned those. Next slide. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. "I've, I've got it. I've done these things. I've been good. When Jesus heard this, Jesus knew what was in men's hearts. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. I know your heart. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This is an amazing encounter right here. This guy just meets Jesus Christ. And he goes and represents himself to Jesus. I'm, I'm a good man. Look at all I've done. You know, can you acknowledge that? But Jesus knows his heart. He says, there's one thing. You're ta- your, your heart is tied with your wealth. Your heart is tied with your money. Your money is in the way of your relationship with me. And the man was so disappointed with Jesus that he walked away. Jesus said, come follow me. Think about this. He could have been one of the 13. Instead, we had 12. Because this guy wouldn't follow Jesus because of his money. Jesus doesn't tell everybody to sell everything. He told this man, and it was not about the way of salvation, There's one way of salvation, it's by placing your faith in Christ. But this man's heart, he had one thing that kept him from Christ, and that was his wealth. Okay, last observation. 
Our understanding of God's eternal kingdom is weak. Now, I'm not sure this is a very good way to say this, but uh, process this with me. This is our last passage, Matthew chapter 13, 14, uh, 13, 44 through 46. So Jesus is talking this, in chapter 13, he tells a series of parables about the kingdom of God. And here's one of the most unique, and to me, it's one of the most powerful, and it's like really understated. The kingdom of heaven is like, so it's a comparison, treasure hidden in a field. You know, I, and I I'd imagine in my backyard, some kind of treasure box full of golden coins, you know, or, you know, just this, like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, it was such a surprise, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field because he wanted the treasure. He understood the value of it, and he was willing to sell everything for it. Verse 45, and again, the kingdom, another example it's another little tiny short parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Now, here's my point. The kingdom of God, if we really understood what has been given us, the promises, the eternal kingdom that ultimately we will be in if we're followers of Christ. If we really understood the value, according to Jesus, it would be a no-brainer. We would give anything for it. We would give anything for that kingdom. That's how important it is. That's how valuable it is. Jesus didn't say, well, you've got to do this to enter the kingdom. You've, you've got to sell everything to be a part of it. He just said, this is the value. This is the treasure. And if you, if you got it, and he's giving us a glimpse of uh, what is entailed. When you think about it, Jesus gives us an amazing tip about insider trading. About the kingdom of God. What does it mean to invest in the kingdom of God? Laying up treasure that has eternal significance. He knows. He's an insider. And, and he's given these instructions. He's given this advice. He's given these tips about investing in, in God's kingdom. And it's going to be unbelievably awesome. And what we don't often recognize or think is important is the rewards that Jesus promised that goes with investing in the kingdom of God. According to the Huffington Post, there was a fake painting hanging in an estate in Scotland. It was considered to be a fake of Raphael, a 16th century Italian painter. Uh, the fake painting was valued at $26 in 1899. During a recent filming at a BBC television series, one of the art experts, as they were going through the estate, noticed 
the painting. And he said, crikey, it looks like a Raphael. Today, it's valued at $26 million. There was a treasure in that estate in Scotland all along, and nobody knew the value. You think a few people would have sold everything to own the painting? Yeah. Jesus has given us a tip about insider training and what we should be investing in. Jesus said, our hearts follow our money. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you for the words of Jesus Christ, for his instructions for us. God, it's my prayer that all of us would be willing to reflect on our own lives and our values, to take seriously what Jesus has said about laying up treasure, to take seriously what Jesus has said about our hearts. Thank you that you've blessed us. Thank you that you provided so richly for us. May we guard against greed. May your Holy Spirit have the freedom to work in our lives to make us aware of that. And God, it's my prayer that you will just continue to grow our hearts in generosity for the sake of Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.